now, which is involving that same kind of love, but instead to strangers specifically. We'll take a look at some of this background information first from 3 John, like we've done with the other books that we always do. Uh, so the author here, we're still looking at the elder, which we're guessing is John the Apostle, although it could potentially be another John. A uh, couple other fun facts. 3 John's actually the shortest book in the New Testament. Uh, it is a little under 200 words in the original Greek. Uh, and it's also one of the only New Testament books that doesn't mention Jesus specifically. So we'll see it says the name, capitalized N, and that is Jesus, but the name Jesus specifically is not used here. Uh, and even though it's short, don't worry, there's a whole lot to unpack here. So we've got plenty of stuff to look at. Uh, we always want to look at the situation that's associated with the book we're studying too. We're going to see the same thing basically that we were looking at last week in 2 John. Uh, so the early church has a lot of traveling preachers, they need places to stay, and they wouldn't want to stay at that local inn, which often is also a brothel, just not a good look. Uh, so instead, they're going to be staying with people who are in the local churches. Uh, and we see this letter is actually kind of opposite of what we looked at last week. So last week, what we looked at was uh, a warning against false preachers, right? And against letting them into your home, into the church. Uh, well, this week, we're going to be operating under the assumption that we've already decided these are preachers of the truth, of the gospel. So not false preachers uh, or false prophets. This is how we are treating uh, those who we know are operating under the truth. Uh, we've got three main characters that we're going to see in the book. Uh, biggest one being Gaius, and that's who the book is written to. Then we've got Diotrephes and Demetrius. Uh, right in the opening there, we get introduced to Gaius. Uh, John calls him dear friend in the HSSB, which is the, the translation that we've been looking at this year. Uh, other translations, you'll notice beloved is also the term that's used. So a very similar term that Jesus is using towards the Apostle John. Now we see the Apostle John using towards his own disciple, Gaius. Uh, he's definitely, Gaius is definitely the leader of this particular church. Uh, we don't know exactly where it is. One of the Asia Minor churches is likely uh, where this is located. Uh, now there's a number of other Gaiuses who are mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, but there's no reason that we should think uh, that it is one of the same ones mentioned in Acts, uh, or uh, there's a Gaius from Corinth specifically that's mentioned in Romans and 1 Corinthians. Um, I mean, John and Gaius were both fairly common names at that time, uh, although I, I know lots of Johns. I don't know any Gaiuses. Not sure why that name didn't catch on. It's a future child name for somebody, right? Keep that in mind, Gaius. Uh, Diotrephes, uh, certainly a more unique name as well, even for the time. Uh, we see him mentioned in verse 9. He's the leader of another nearby church uh, and would have had regular interactions with Gaius through these traveling preachers and the passing of letters. So all these letters that we read in the New Testament, they get passed around from church to church, uh, and he would have been one of these other church leaders uh, right nearby where Gaius is. The third person that we see here for uh, characters is going to be Demetrius, uh, which is a common name, but the only other Demetrius that we see uh, is the silversmith Demetrius from Acts. 
Uh, he gets into a little bit of a disagreement with Paul. Uh, so we don't think that he's the same person, although if it was, that'd be a pretty big turnaround, just like Paul, where you know, Demetrius in Acts, we see, is persecuting the church. So for him to make that turnaround and all of a sudden become one of the traveling preachers, possible, but uh, we would consider it to be unlikely in this particular case. Uh, what is highly likely, though, is that Demetrius is the one actually delivering this letter to Gaius. So he's a traveling preacher. Uh, we already know, based on 2 John, that there's some issues with, okay, are they a false prophet, truth prophet? Uh, and so John sends him with this letter. That way, when he gets to Gaius' church, there's no doubt in anyone's mind, like, okay, this dude, he's got John's approval, so he's good to go. Uh, let's go ahead and get into the verses. Here we see verse 1. Uh, maybe. I think you might need to advance it for me back there, guys. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Uh, the elder to my dear friend Gaius, I love you in truth. So this is the introduction of the letter. Uh, we already know, written by John the elder to his dear friend Gaius. Uh, and we're seeing the same theme that we've been seeing throughout First and Second John, uh, which is the theme of truth and love. I love you in the truth is actually the same phrase that John used in his previous letter uh, when he was addressing the elect lady. Uh, he's already shown us throughout these letters how if we are in the truth of God, we will love one another. Uh, we're going to take a little bit closer look at that specific type of love in a little bit. But let's keep looking through here as we come to verse 2. Uh, Dear friend, I pray that you may prosper in every way and be in good health physically, just as you are spiritually. Uh, so again, we see this dear friend. Uh, and John calls Gaius this a lot of times throughout there. Uh, he's praying for him good health spiritually, good health physically. Uh, and really, this is a, a compliment. Uh, so the way that he says it, be in good health physically, just as you are spiritually. He's saying, I know you're in good health spiritually, so I want your physical health to match that. Uh, this compliment continues on as we take a look at the next verse in verse 3. For I was very glad when some brothers came and testified to your faithfulness in the truth, how you are walking in the truth. Uh, John is further praising uh, Gaius and his virtues of faithfulness. Uh, this revelation comes to him from visiting brothers in Christ who are testifying to what Gaius is doing in that Asia Minor church. Uh, we see continued theme here, right, is this truth. It's being referred to over and over again here, and we saw it in 1 John, we saw it in 2 John. Uh, the topic of debate in, in last week's letter was specifically on those false teachings and how do you know the truth and, and how do you treat that. Uh, so we know that truth is very important uh, and that living out the truth in one's life is considered to be the most important way of being faithful to the truth. We're going to see that solidified here in verse 4 where John says, I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So we come to our first type of relationship that we're gonna see here, the discipleship relationship. 
So Gaius has been discipled by John, uh, who considers those that he's brought to Christ himself to be his children in faith. Uh, it's a very close relationship, right? He's his child is how John's referring to him. Uh, and the, the joy that John is describing here, I think is very similar to the joy that we get uh, when our kids do something we're proud of. Uh, Lucas, he's, he's three, he's potty training right now uh, with a, a mixture of uh, successes and some mistakes that require some messy cleanups. But when we do have success, I mean, we, we celebrate that, right? Goes to potty, jump up and down, scream, yay! I mean, even, even when we're out in public, we were, we were out to, to lunch yesterday, uh, we're in the, the public bathroom, and he went potty, and oh, doesn't matter who's in there, we're jumping up and down, yelling yay in the bathroom, because that's how excited I am for him at doing what I wanted him to do. And that's exactly how John is feeling when he hears about what Gaius is doing. Uh, that's his yay moment, right? He, these people bring him the news about Gaius, what he's doing, and John is jumping up and down, yelling yay, because he's so excited uh, that his child in Christ is doing so well. Now, hopefully, we're all involved in some sort of discipleship relationship ourselves. Uh, ideally, we are being discipled and discipling others at the same time there. Uh, we're not called to just lead people to Christ and then let them figure it out on their own. Um, that's a lot like uh, these, these videos I've seen online re recently uh, where people are just chucking babies into pools. Anybody else seen this? Is is wild, right? They're throwing babies into pools, and then it, you're like, why, why are they doing that? Well, a little bit of context is it's a, a training, right? So uh, they are, before they chuck them into the pool, they're teaching them how to roll over uh, and how to float properly. That way, if something were to happen, the babies are okay. Uh, but the, the importance here is that teaching the babies to have that healthy relationship with water and not to be afraid of it. And that's the same kind of way that we should be treating those that we're bringing to Christ, right? We're not just gonna chuck them in the pool and not teach them anything. We want to encourage them and have them have a healthy relationship with God. That way they'll continue to grow, learn to float, learn to swim, swim even better. So Jesus, through the Great Commission, he's telling us, in Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Should be a verse we're quite familiar with, right? Uh, and the word disciples there, I don't think that's just casually put in there. I mean, that's intentional that Jesus is using the word disciple. Uh, it's meant to be a mentoring relationship where we can continue to encourage our spiritual children to grow deeper in their relationship to Christ. So who are our spiritual children? Uh, are we an absent parent to them? Or are we guiding them and celebrating their successes along their journey, just like we see with John and Gaius here? Now, if we're not satisfied with the answers to those questions that I just asked there, don't worry. In the next series, we're gonna be talking about reaching forward where Paul is telling us that it's not about what's behind us, uh, but it's about what's ahead. And we have the opportunity still to form those relationships. Uh, let's take a look next at verse 
5, and here we see the true purpose of John writing the letter here. So it says, Dear friend, you're showing faithfulness by whatever you do for the brothers, especially when they are strangers. John is asking Gaius to show hospitality, uh, as he's done in the past, to the traveling preachers who come to town. Uh, now it's necessary in verse five here to establish that there are two different types of relationships that we see here. Uh, the first part we see is you are showing faithfulness by whatever you do for the brothers. And this line is the command for brotherly love. Uh, we see that taught other places in the New Testament. Uh, we see Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. Uh, he says, about brotherly love, you don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. We also see it in uh, 1 Peter 3, 8. Next verse on the screen there. Peter says, now finally, all of you should be like-minded and sympathetic, should love believers and be compassionate and humble. In both cases, we see this concept of love for other believers to be an essential part of following Christ. And this goes all the way back to the Old Testament as well. The next verse we're gonna look at here is Leviticus 19.18. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself, I am Yahweh. So this, is, this should be a given, right? That we're gonna be showing this brotherly love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, this is a basic tenet of Judaism and Christianity. Uh, this isn't something that's above and beyond, nothing special. This is, hey, if, if you are a Christian, you're 100% doing this all the time. It should be an easy thing uh, for us to be accomplishing. Uh, so, looking at brotherly love, how would you say that we rate ourselves to showing brotherly love to those in our own church community? Do we have interactions with each other outside of Sunday morning, uh, or maybe a specific church event, right? How often are we getting together with each other uh, outside of those, those set church events? Um, and then, uh, you know, how often are we uh, getting together to share a meal? That's something that in the early church uh, you see constantly, right? They, I mean, church is in somebody's house, so what are you going to do? You're going to eat. You're going to share that meal together. Uh, and I think we all could say that we've got at least, probably at least 14 opportunities a week, right? Because I don't eat breakfast, so I'm not going to eat breakfast with you. But there's 14 other meals in the week that we could share with each other. Uh, do we know what's going on in the lives of our brothers and sisters enough to pray for them on a regular basis? The biggest issue I think that we face here is that we're not genuine with our spaces. And the reason, the reason we don't invite people over is because we don't want them to see our own imperfections and insecurities. And this is, I think, worse within the church than even outside the church, right? Uh, there's a, a certain perception you want people to have of you. Uh, and, and I know for myself, I'm going to admit that's the case for me. My house is frequently messy. Uh, and if anyone has a three-year-old or had a three-year-old, you know that that's the case. It's going to be messy. 
But even beyond that, uh, I don't, it's not that nice of a house. Uh, and so if I invite people over, right, I'm afraid that you're all gonna think I live in a trap house. And so I, I don't want that, and so I don't invite people over. Uh, and that uh, prevents me from being able to share this brotherly love with you. Uh, and I do invite people outside of the church over and have them for meals, and, and we even talk about God and pray with each other, but that's, that's okay for me. The issue that I have is that I don't want any of you to come to my house and see how it looks or the way I live and think that I am, am lesser than. Uh, and that's, that's not right. We should be able to be the most genuine with our brothers and sisters in Christ. The people in this room, those should be the ones that we can be the most real with. And it shouldn't be that we have to put on this nice look for everybody uh, whenever we are, are here at church on Sunday morning, and especially not whenever we, are, we go home. Uh, you know, we should be sharing that life with each other. We should be invading each other's spaces. In the early church, we see them doing this all the time, and I know this is a topic uh, that Bruce has touched on previously as well. Uh, so invading each other's space is something I want to challenge us to. Uh, I, I, again, for me personally, I've only had a handful of you over to my house and, and vice versa. Uh, but some of us have been here for a, a, a long time, and we are good at this with people that we know, right? Uh, people that I'm familiar with, yeah, okay, that's all right. I feel comfortable. You can come into my space. I'll, I'll, I'll go over to your house. That's fine. Uh, we're not always as great when it comes to newer people uh, and beyond just new people like I've never seen you before, but even new people like oh, we've seen them several times and we know what their name is, but beyond that we don't know much else. Uh, I, it is hard to believe for me even, but I guess I've been here 20 years now. <laughs> I left and went to college for a little bit, but 20 years that I've been here and I've seen a lot of faces come and go. Uh, and many of you that have been here that long or more, the same case, right? And so out of those people, how many of them can you say that you know or interacted with anything beyond, I know what their name is, and I made sure I said hello to them every Sunday morning, right? I, I shook their hand. And, and maybe, maybe we talked about football or the weather or something like that, uh, but that's not really sharing life with each other, right? That's just being pleasant. You might do the same thing to the cashier at the grocery store. Oh yeah, I know them, that's, that's, that's Christine. Oh yeah, she has you know, two young boys and uh, she's an Eagles fan. Okay, that's great, but I don't know anything about Christine beyond that. I'm not actually sharing my life with her. It's not really giving me opportunities to interact and show love. Whenever we are, uh, whenever we look at these kinds of things, so I know like right last week uh, when Bruce was talking to us, he challenged us to develop disciplines to intentionally love one another. That was the, the takeaway part of the message. Uh, so whenever we hear those kinds of things, what do we do with that information? The weekly application of the messages is the most important part. Uh, I mean, Bruce tells us some funny stories, and, and we laugh, and that's great, and we look at some awesome scripture. But beyond that, what are we doing with the message that we're receiving? Uh, if we just, you know, get up out of here and say, oh, that, 
that was a great message. Thanks, Pastor. Good, good job. Yep, awesome. And then we walk away, and we don't do anything about it. What, you know, what's the point? Why are we actually coming? What are we doing with that? So I want to make sure to challenge all of us, myself included, right? Whenever we have these applications, these things that we're putting into practice, that's something we should be thinking about throughout the week. Uh, I know a, a helpful thing is uh, Bruce does the midweek recap. I don't know how many people look at that, listen to that. I think that's a great thing, especially for myself personally, is, okay, we're halfway through the week. I've definitely forgotten whatever he said, so there's my refresher, right? What did we talk about, and what have I done so far to put it into action? I want to transition now to the next type of uh, relationship that we're going to be focused on for the remainder of 3rd John here. And that's going to be hospitality, which I would say specifically refers to how we treat strangers outside of our normal Christian community. So outside of the people we interact with on a regular basis, how are we treating those people? Uh, we see some other instances of this uh, encouragement towards hospitality in the New Testament. Uh, let's take a look at 1 Timothy 5.10, next verse there. And it is well known for good works, that is, if she brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, helped the afflicted, and devoted herself to every good work. Uh, so Paul's talking about widows specifically in this instance. Uh, we see a lot of different things listed there, but hospitality is specifically singled out in this list. Uh, we also see that in the next verse. We've got Hebrews 13, verses 1 to 2. So in verse 1, it says, Let brotherly love continue. Just talked about brotherly love. Immediately, the next verse, Don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. So there's definitely a distinction there. We've got brotherly love, we've got hospitality. Those are not the same thing. Those are two definitely different concepts there. Uh, let's see what John specifically is talking to us about in hospitality. Uh, we're going to pick back up in 3 John 5. Dear friend, you are showing faithfulness by whatever you do for the brothers, especially when they are strangers. So here's the other half of the verse that we're going to look at. That first half of the verse is the brotherly love. The second half, especially when they are strangers, that's our portion that talks about hospitality. The next one there in verse 6, they have testified to your love in front of the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So verse 6 is telling us that all this has been communicated to John by others who have visited Gaius' church. Uh, and we saw this at the beginning, right? These are the people that came, told John how awesome Gaius is doing. John jumped up and down and said, yay, he's excited about it. This hospitality is not just shown to them while they're in the church, but it's also shown upon sending them back out. We see, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Uh, and this is the, the clues of how we know he's specifically talking about these traveling preachers. Uh, next verse here, verse 7 since they set out for the sake of the, of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. Uh, for the sake of the name, right? That's Jesus. We know that. We see capital N. That's definitely the case. Uh, and like we discussed last week, Bruce mentioned that these pagan establishments for travelers are not going to be places that Christian preachers should be associated with. 
and that creates this need for them to support the traveling preachers uh, that John is telling us uh, we should be supporting. We take a look in verse 8 there. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we can be co-workers with the truth. Uh, the, that's us being co-workers with these traveling preachers. And I'll put it a little bit more in a modern context. It's not quite what we have happening all the time. Uh, although I, I'm a guest here, I guess, speaking at least with you all. Uh, but we, we do have definitely in our own church one instance uh, of this traveling preachers. And that would be our, our missionaries, right? And it's right in our name, Christian and Missionary Alliance. That's a huge portion of, of who we are, what we do. Christina, once a month at least, is coming up here uh, and sharing with us about what's going on in missions. Uh, we have people we've sent out from our own church, people we know, our family members who are missionaries. Those are people who are uh, co-workers with us in the truth. Uh, and this uh, hospitality relationship being different from that earlier type of brotherly love, this is more what we're looking at is uh, we're looking at showing that love to these co-workers with the truth. And the next, uh, next slide there, please, is going to be Matthew 7, 12. Uh, we see Jesus teaching on hospitality. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. That is the law and the prophets. Uh, we also see him say basically the same thing, but showing how important it is that multiple gospel authors are talking about this. In Luke 6, 31, just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. So I would say hospitality goes beyond just doing the right thing, like we saw with brotherly love. I said brotherly love, that's, that's a given. That's expected. We're all going to be doing that no matter what. Uh, shouldn't really be doing too much extra in that way. That should be a regular occurrence for us. But hospitality, that would be going the extra mile for someone who you don't know. Let's circle back to then our missionaries, right? Uh, and, and we're not involved necessarily in overseas missions directly, but we're sharing in their work through prayer, giving, and hospitality while they're here. When we have missionaries in town for a missions conference or for a, a weekend that somebody's in visiting, how often are we taking them out for a meal, taking them out to lunch? Or even better, how often are we inviting them into our own home for a meal? As a sometimes total stranger, oh yeah, come on over to my house, sure, I'll share a meal. And, and we're not spending two weeks cleaning our house and making sure it's perfect first, you know, fixing everything, right? Just saying, come on over, love to share a meal with you. Uh, do we know what kind of specific needs that these missionaries have so we can pray for them on a regular basis? Uh, and, and again, Christina mentioned this a little bit this morning, right? Sometimes we know what the big picture is. Oh, oh yeah, they're there to share Jesus with the people of that country. Okay, great, but what specifically can you be praying for them about? Uh, you can learn those things by getting to know them a little bit better while they're here. Uh, and I do want to point out that to really be hospitality, I would argue that like Ben and Chelsea, Bob and Cheryl, for most of us, those are people we're very familiar with. Uh, we've known them for years, and they feel like family. They feel like members of this church. And so really, 
for it to truly be hospitality, we're talking about people who we don't know, those missionaries that we didn't personally send out from our church. Not that that means we shouldn't be also sharing with Ben and Chelsea and Bob and Cheryl while they're here. Obviously we should, but I think it's a little bit easier for us to invite them over, right? Oh, I've, I've known Ben since he was just a, a little boy, right? Okay, yeah, that's easy. Sure, come on over. We'll hang out, not a problem. Uh, but somebody you've never met before, a little bit harder, and that's where we see the hospitality end of it coming in. True hospitality would be treating the missionaries we don't know in the same manner that we treat those we personally sent out from the church. Now, we're going to get an opportunity to act this out during our next missions conference. We'll have a time coming up here in the spring, I believe April. Uh, we're going to have a, a missionary in for a weekend, uh, someone we are not familiar with. I don't think any of us know them in any capacity, so this is going to be the perfect opportunity uh, to get to know them, maybe invite them out for lunch, or even better, over to your house. As we take a look at the next verse here, we've got uh, verse 9 in 3 John. Uh, we are finally going to meet the villain of the book, Diotrephes. And I think his name even, it sounds villainous, right? Diotrephes. That, that's a villain name for sure. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have his first place among them, does not receive us. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, he's the leader of another nearby church who is not receiving traveling preachers. We get a little bit more details. Look ahead at the next verse here is 10. This is why, if I come, I will remind him of the works he is doing, slandering us with malicious words, and he is not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome the brothers to himself, but he even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. So Diotrephes, he's not just turning people away. He is actively working against the gospel by slandering them with malicious words, stopping anyone who would want to be a traveling preacher, and then even expelling them from the church if he hears this. Uh, now, his, his personal motivations here are going to come from not wanting to share funds and resources with the traveling preachers. Uh, so, you know, if you put them up in your home and you share meals with them, that, that's going to cost something of your time, money, resources. Uh, and if someone from his own congregation, his own church community, wanted to do this themselves, well, then the people of the church are naturally going to want to give to this person. And he doesn't want that. That's going to take away from him and, and his power within his own little group there. If he has somebody else going out, now he's lost a portion of that power. He's lost a portion of those resources. Uh, and so we see guys being very selfish. That selfishness is impeding the progress of the gospel. Uh, and hopefully this isn't a way that we ourselves uh, feel about uh, God or, or missions. Uh, everything that we have from God is is from him, right? Everything we got, we got that from God. We give thanks to him for that. And so we should be gladly giving back to him, uh, not just with tithes, but the offering, right? So giving to missions above and beyond what is our normal tithe that would be expected. Uh, John goes so far in the next verse, in verse 11 here, uh, to call uh, Diotrephes' behavior evil. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good? The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. 
So he's talking to Gaius here, and he's contrasting between the good actions of hospitality of Gaius and the evil actions of selfishness that's from Diotrephes. John ensures that we understand this difference by saying, you know, good is of God and evil has not seen God. Throughout the New Testament, we see many examples of good hospitality being shown. Uh, Jesus, the apostles, local church elders, including Gaius here, right? They give us lots of great examples. Now, Jesus warns us specifically against bad examples in Matthew 20, 25, next verse on the screen here. But Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them and the men of high position exercise power over them. It should be an emphasis of how important it is to set this good example for those around us, uh, especially if you're, within, if you're in a position of leadership within the church. Uh, people are, are looking to you, uh, and you need to make sure that you're setting this good example, uh, doing what is of God. Let's go ahead and turn to verse 12 here, where we're finally going to meet Demetrius. It seems like forever ago we talked about him. Uh, he's the one delivering the letter to Gaius. Uh, he gets a glowing recommendation here from John that is indicating he is most certainly one of the good ones who's spreading the truth of the gospel and should be welcomed with hospitality. Demetrius has a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we also testify for him, and you know that our testimony is true. Uh, in addition to John's recommendation, he's saying, has a good testimony with everyone, or from everyone. And that's something that we should be striving for, right? Can people say that about us? Can they say, oh yeah, he's got a, a good testimony. That should go along with uh, what we're talking about whenever we're looking uh, at having uh, the, the good recommendation of the truth of the gospel. We're getting into the final couple verses here. We see uh, verse 13. I have many things to write you, but I don't want to write you with pen and ink. And then 14, I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be with you. The friends send you greetings. Greet the friends by names. So 2 John 12 and the ending of 3 John here are, are pretty much the exact same ending, uh, almost word for word. Uh, John has more that he wants to say, but he'd rather say that in person. He wants to talk face to face about some things that he did not write. Uh, and I can respect John for waiting to address these issues until they met in person. Uh, there's just certain things that you don't want to, like, Text somebody, right? There's certain times where you want to call them, and even beyond that, there's certain things you don't want to even talk over the phone. It's more of a conversation to have face to face. And so John's setting a good example here for us that uh, you know don't don't take the easy way out. Sometimes you have to have that conversation face to face, uh, and that seems to be the case. Not that we know what he's going to say, but there's some things that are important that he wants to wait until he sees in in person. Uh, and, and really, this is an even bigger issue today than it was back then, because a letter or, for us, really a text message, right, can easily be misconstrued without the context of tone and body language. Uh, corporate studies have shown that 50% of, of work emails are misunderstood. Think about the word, just one word, 
okay. I mean, that can be taken a bunch of different ways depending on your tone of voice. I could say, okay, oh, great, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm excited. Or, okay, uh, don't really want to do that. Or, okay, right, I'm a little sarcastic. Now, that, that's the same word, and I could go on. There's many other ways that you could say just one simple word, and it can be taken a bunch of different ways. So sometimes it's going to take that in person. We're going to need to go deeper in that relationship. We can't just rely on, on texting somebody or even just calling uh, somebody. We're going to have to build that deeper kingdom relationship with them. Uh, this is a much bigger struggle, I think, for us uh, today in a, a digital age uh, where checking in by text, phone, email, uh, and not having to see somebody in person, that's so easy. Uh, and it's, it's something that we could be grateful of for people who are all over the world, right? There's like our missionaries, right? We, we might not get to see them, but once every four years if we didn't have these technologies. Uh, but especially for people uh, right here in our own congregation, right? We could easily drive to each other's houses. Very, I could, I could walk to Zach's house. That's right across the street, right? But am I walking there or am I just sending him a text message? I'm probably sending him a text message because it's easier to do it that way. So if we really want to be building these kingdom relationships, we need to be spending quality in-person time with fellow believers and then even those that we are witnessing to through the testimony of our own life. Uh, the kingdom relationships that we're looking at today are going to allow us to grow closer to God and will encourage others to do the same. So I want to share with you something that uh, God has been speaking to me personally about, uh, and obviously no coincidence that uh, this is something God's speaking to me about, and then Bruce asked me, hey, do you want to speak on 3 John? It wasn't like I picked it out, right? He, Bruce said, this is what the message, okay, yeah, yeah. And so I start reading, get into it. Uh, and during the, the 40 days of prayer there, I spent some extra time in prayer trying to determine what God specifically wanted me to work on this year. Uh, and no surprise, deeper relationships, that's at the top of his list of things for me to work on. And lo and behold, that is what 3 John is all about makes sense. Uh, God knows how stubborn we are, and a lot of times he's got to repeat that message through, so it gets through to us. Uh, and, and message received, God, I, I hear you. This forces me to admit my own shortcomings, my own need for Christ, and to be able to experience growth in him. So hospitality needs to become a part of our everyday life. Now, I'm going to argue here that this is going to extend beyond just the context that we're reading of in 3 John. This is beyond just traveling preachers or our modern version missionaries. I think this is going to go into how we interact with those in our own community. So showing true hospitality to strangers, uh, that's a great way of showing God's love to others, whether they're believers or not. And how often, how often do we meet somebody for the first time and, and our first thought immediately is say, oh, why, why don't you come on over to my house? Oh, yeah, yeah, come on over. I mean, no, I don't think I've ever done that, right? You don't meet somebody for the first time and invite them to your house. You might not ever invite them to your house and you'll be friends for years. So I, I do want to make sure, uh, you know, we, we should be in showing hospitality to strangers, invite them into your own home, but I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I am, am not saying uh, that you should invite every hitchhiker you meet into your house 
It's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Those are potentially dangerous situations, right? That's not saying everyone you meet at the street, oh, that, they all need to come on over. No, what I, what I am saying, though, is if you feel the Spirit leading you, yes, absolutely. Even if it's like, a, oh, I've never met this person before. If God's putting that on your heart, follow that. Go ahead, invite them over. The Spirit clearly has something planned that's bigger than you and your own hang-ups about having a stranger into your messy house, right? Invite them in, show them God's love. If we're going to make an impact for Christ in this world, we need to act different from the world. We need to be showing God's love in ways that are going to stand out. Is that a thing that people would normally do? We meet each other for the first time and I ask you to come over and have lunch with me? No, that would most certainly stand out. I'd remember you. You would definitely be a unique person that I met. So we need to make this a priority in our life uh, because otherwise we'll find every and any excuse of why we can't do that. If it's a priority, we'll make it happen. But if, if it's not a priority for us, I can think of a million excuses of why I should not do that thing that God's telling me to do. So our takeaways today, kingdom relationships, uh, they are uh, essential to the truth of the gospel and our relationship with God. We need to be involved in discipleship relationships. We need to show brotherly love to those in our own congregation. And we need to show true hospitality to strangers inside and outside the church. I want to challenge you this week to make connections in each one of those three categories. Uh, like I said, this, is, this isn't something God has put on my heart personally, so I've already made the commitment with him, and, and now I'm telling you guys, so you can hold me accountable to it as well, is that at least once a week, I'm going to be participating in, in one of these latter two, right? whether it's brotherly love or hospitality. At least once a week, I'm going to be intentionally seeking out either to spend time with somebody here in our own congregation or to be uh, finding a stranger uh, or, or maybe a, a light acquaintance who's really still a stranger and inviting them into my own home. Uh, the, the discipleship aspect of it, um, that one takes a little bit more preparation, right? I'm not expecting that someone, I mean, you could, that you go out this week and find someone you're going to disciple. Uh, I think realistically, uh, evangelism naturally leads into discipleship. So if you are participating in evangelism, I mean, they're basically the same thing. It's a mentoring relationship that you're forming with someone. Evangelism, they're not a Christian. Discipleship, they are a Christian. So that is something that we should all be working on. Uh, and, and pray about how or who is that person in, in your life. Who has God put on your heart specifically uh, that you should be sharing uh, the truth with, that you should be sharing God's love with, uh, and then advance them from uh, an evangelism relationship into a discipleship relationship. But the other two are, are much easier. I know that this week, at least one of those two things are definitely possible for you. Uh, you've got 14 different meals that you're going to eat this week. If you skip breakfast like me, pick one of those times where you're going to share a meal with either somebody here uh, or, or someone you don't know. Show brotherly love, show hospitality uh, this week, uh, and make sure we're praying about those encounters as well, right? God is, has a plan for this. This isn't just a, a random encounter. Uh, maybe there's a reason he wants you to get closer to somebody in the church. Maybe there's a, uh, something that he has planned for you guys to do together. 
maybe there is a specific person that God's already been prompting you. Oh, you, you should have so-and-so over. You need to get together with so-and-so. I know you barely know them, but uh, you know, they really need to, to experience God's love, and that's what you're able to do uh, by inviting them into your home. Not something we commonly do. Even in, in work relationships that we have with people, it's not super often that somebody's going to ask you to come over to their house for dinner. Uh, so make sure this week we are, are taking this seriously, right? We're finding some time that we can apply this to our own lives uh, and keep praying about who God has in mind for you to specifically disciple. Uh, and if you're not in the, the opposite version of that, if no one's discipling you, uh, maybe seek that out. Uh, one of the great benefits we have here in this church is there's a, a wide age range, right? We got very young and, and a little bit older, and so take advantage of that, right? There's got to be somebody in this church uh, that if you're on the younger end and you don't have that person discipling you, uh, find somebody to make that connection with. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, your, your love uh, and how you share it with us so freely, so openly, uh, no strings attached. Uh, I pray that, that that love, you would fill us so much with that love that it would overflow into our other relationships. Uh, that we would want to, to share that love with others uh, and to bring others uh, to know you. And that would develop into a, a great discipleship relationship. I pray that, that that love would overflow within us so that we, we share it with other people in our own congregation, that we show this brotherly love, uh, that it becomes natural for people to just be getting together with each other, uh, not just after church for a Sunday meal, but even throughout the week, regularly meeting with each other. And I pray for hospitality as well, uh, that showing your love and kindness to strangers, whether they're believers or not, that that would become a regular part of our lives. Lord, that's something that will set us apart for sure from the world, something that will let people know there, there's something different about this person. And that leads to the next question of, of what's different about them. Uh, and we know that the answer is you, Lord. Uh, we thank you for that. We thank you for your love uh, and your word that you provided to teach us these lessons. Amen. Thanks, guys. <laughs>